In our last study, James chapter 2, we saw faith working together with works. Godly living is the product of our relationship with God. And James provided Abraham as the premier example of faith in action and thus was called the friend of God. And then he went on to summarize his train of thought by explaining in chapter 2 verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, as the body without breath is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And in typical James fashion, he boldly goes for the jugular, more specifically the tongue, because the way we talk to God is sometimes much different from the way we talk to those made in his likeness. And so that's where we pick up today as he continues his train of thought in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. The word of God reads like this. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we, should, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wishes. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. Right there in verse 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. It's ironic because I've been asking regularly at chapel for others to consider becoming children's church teachers. And I think I think we still need as many teachers as we can get, but it's also important to remember that teachers, not just the office of the pastor teacher, but all teachers, children's church, you know, youth teachers, all teachers will receive a stricter judgment because the more one teaches, the more he or she learns in the process, which means the teachers will be accountable to practice what they teach. As a younger man, I carried into my newfound faith my ambitious attitude. And I thought, I thought to myself, hey, okay, so being a Navy man, I ought to be a Navy SEAL. I, I learned 
very quickly that I wanted to be a Navy SEAL for all the, the wrong reasons. <laughs> a s clearly overcompensating, you know, for just the fears and anxieties that I had. I wanted to do s tough things, but I was thinking if I could become this person professionally, that it would change me um, and deliver me from really from the wounds that I had inside. That's another story, I guess. But I thought, if I'm going to be in the Navy, I should be a Navy SEAL. I should be the top of the top, you know. If serving with the Marines, I should be a reconnaissance man. If I were a policeman, I should be on the SWAT team. Best of the best, you know, the highest elite office, you know. So as a Christian, it makes sense. This is what I thought to myself, that I should be a pastor, should be a pastor teacher. The Lord very quickly informed me that this kind of thinking was worldly and it was sinful. You know, Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in God's kingdom, you should be the servant of all. So I decided I would run in the completely other direction and never pursue being a pastor. You know, if God wanted me to be a pastor or a teacher, he would have to make me that man. Eventually, I came to learn, you know, it's not necessarily wrong to want to be a pastor teacher. I think about 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and, and appointing leaders and pastors in the church. Uh, Paul told Timothy that, you know, if a man desires the office of a bishop, and that bishop there is used synonymously in, in, in the church to describe, you know, someone in leadership, someone who's a pastor of a local church. But if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. He desires a good, good thing. And then he goes on to describe the qualifications of a teacher. So it's not wrong to, de to want to be that person, but it depends on the reasons. You know, one should consider both the desire and calling. But have you ever noticed how many doctors have pursued their profession after experiencing an event that left them wishing they knew how to help someone they loved who was sick or injured? Many have pursued, for example, a career in psychology, trying to find answers to their own mental health struggles. And similarly, many have run hard and fast toward theological studies and professional ministry, believing their solutions to life struggles would be found in the divine. We just have to remember, James said, a stricter judgment would apply to teachers. And he goes on to say in verse 2, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. I appreciate James' humility. He's bold in his letter. But he's also aware that he too stumbles. Like he says, we all stumble in many things. So when it comes to being perfect, he's not necessarily saying perfect in the sense of being without fault of any kind, but perfect, this Greek word teleos, teleos, which means complete, mature, grown up, like fully developed. This is someone who's mature enough to hold their tongue and if you can do that, you might be mature enough to behave yourself properly. And he gives some examples here. This is really cool. You know, indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us. And then we turn their whole body. Look at the ships. They, 
are so large, they're driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So he describes the bit, the rudder, the tongue, and the little fire. All of them small things capable of steering, influencing, and consuming on a large scale. Notice what he said. In this case, regarding ships, right? Driven by fierce winds, turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. He's leading up to something, and we really don't want to miss this. Who holds the reins? Who's at the helm? You and I are ultimately responsible for our words, whether spoken or keeping our mouths closed. You know, once that word leaves our mouth, like a match, man, it might seem small and insignificant, but it can reach far and wide for better or for worse. And the starting place for the tongue, the general condition of the tongue, is that it's prone to iniquity, to selfishness. Why is that? Because our hearts are sinful. The tongue and the heart are intimately connected. He says in verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. What a statement. I mean, just, just as hell is a torturous place, a well of wicked souls and a holding pattern of those destined for the lake of fire, even so, our hearts, apart from Christ, are bent toward evil. And it may show by the words that come out of our mouths. As Jesus said, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. And James continues, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Isn't this interesting? Humans have brought under control and submission numerous kinds of animals, and yet we have the hardest time controlling what we say and how we say things. I don't think James can be any clearer here. No man can tame the tongue. But God can, <laughs> if we let him, because we've got to submit to him. We have to obey him. Otherwise, look at what happens here, verses 9 and 10. With it, you know, with our tongues, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude and the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And remember, he's writing to the Christian to Christians, and he says, My brethren, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. James isn't saying everything that we say has got to be nice. I mean, much of what James writes could be understood as direct and assertive, not necessarily nice, but loving nonetheless. And he's saying we're guilty. We're guilty of using the same tongue to both praise God and then curse 
those made in his image. For example, you know, this cursing could literally be interpreted as something the equivalent of what we say, you go to hell. And he says, my brethren, it shouldn't be that way. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine, can it bear figs? No. Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. In other words, it's not natural. It's not God's natural order for blessing and then cursing to come from the same mouth. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. He said, Either make the good tree, or I'm sorry, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers. He's like, you, you snakes, man. How can you, being evil, speak of good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Man, every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. This should terrify us. I'm not saying we should live in a state of fear, but this should sober us up, right? What is it from this passage? What is it from today's study we can learn about God? What I see is that he is incredibly patient with us, considering how we use our tongues. He is incredibly merciful, considering the things that come out of our mouths reveal what's in our hearts. Man, the fact God knows what's in my heart doesn't give me comfort because I, I have just an inkling of what's in there and it's not always good. The fact that he knows my heart and loves me anyway and stays with me and still lives in me and abides in me, that that is amazing to me. That's amazing. These are the things, the very least, that we can learn about God. Incredibly patient, incredibly merciful. What is it we can learn about ourselves from the text, we all stumble in many things. We all stumble in many things. When we use our tongues to bless God and then curse people made in His image, it's contrary to God's natural design. To His, It's unnatural. We've, we're not designed for that. We can tame all kinds of creatures, but no man can tame the tongue. And we won't be successful in controlling our mouths in our human strength alone. We might be successful here and there, but without the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and our submission to Him, we won't be able to control our mouths the way we ought to without God's help. So what does God want us to do on that note? First, understand that teachers will receive a stricter judgment 
So understand that. Teachers study in order to be better teachers. They're inclined to know more, which means they'll be more accountable to God for obeying and practicing what they teach. The second, he wants us to control ourselves. We would love for God to literally control us, like to take the reins, to take the helm, but it doesn't work that way. Nevertheless, we can still allow his will to be done by letting him steer us and guide us as we follow his leading. This applies to what we say and how we say it. Look, when we walk in the Spirit, he may well have us say something direct and assertive, like James, right? Or like Solomon, who says in Proverbs 28, verse 23, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. But most of the time, unless you're a Marine Corps drill instructor, (laughs) I'm certain God wants us most of the time to be kind with our words. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15 verse 1. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 12 verse 25. And finally, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I, Jesus, say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Father God, thanks so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit inspiring James to write these things for us, Lord, and for giving us some really great examples. Of the small things like the rudder on the ship, the little fire, the tongue, Lord, just these small things that can have profound effect for good or bad. And so, Lord, help us to choose our words carefully, to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that what we say will be glorifying to you, will be pleasing to you, will be healing to others. And let it be. Let it be said among us, Lord, as Christian folks, then, that we speak as with the oracles of God, the sayings of God. And not just careful what we say, but how we say things, Lord. We need your wisdom and your discernment in that matter. So help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.